Okay, so a mate of mine sent me a question. Quote, how does biological determinism align with the domestication of humans? End quote. That's from a mate of mine, Chris Gleason. Hi, Chris. And it has me thinking of a couple of things. But oddly and importantly, I don't know the answer to that question. I have an answer in my head. Otherwise, I wouldn't be sitting down to record an answer. But what that answer is, I actually don't know. So my answer to that question is will be forthcoming. It's, it's, it's in me somewhere and it's about to come out of me and it'll be included, hopefully, in this recording. But there's a weirdness to that, isn't there? So if someone was sitting beside me and went, here, Frano, what are you, you're about to record a podcast, are you? See, you've got your microphone out. I am indeed, yeah. What's, what's it about? Well, a mate of mine asked me a question. How does biological determinism align with the domestication of humans? That's what I'm going to talk about. Okay, right. And, and what, are you going to talk, what are you going to say? Like, what, what's your main key point? Like, how, how does biological determinism align with the domestication of humans? Like, you don't have to give me the full podcast now, but just give me the gist of it. I don't fucking know what the gist of it is. I'm going to, come the end of this recording, I'll know what the answer is. But at the point of the start of the recording, I don't know what the answer is. And that's that's something that's, that's a, a thread throughout all my podcasts. I don't really know what it is that I want to say. But what I have to say is in my head. Or it, it, it's in me, somewhere. <laughs> it's funny, and I wonder, is it like having a, a box of uh, Lego? You have a big giant box of Lego. In that box, like what's in the box? Pieces of Lego. Yeah, but what could you make out of it? Oh, you could make a fucking plane or a train or a house or a cabin or a cloud or a farm or a fucking... You could make anything you want out of it. And your our minds are kind of like that. We have the component parts to make up any thought. I mean, once you're fluent in a language, you can... Uh, there's no limit to what you can think about. The words are just the component parts. We just have to organise them and put the data in order. So, what am I trying to say? There's an analogy here between data and information and thoughts and ideas. Something like that. So your your head is full of thoughts, but it's not until you have them in formation that they become ideas. Because you might know... What might you know? You might know... Now bear with me because this is off the cuff and it's, it's going to be pretty base. But you might know that petrol is full of energy. And you might know that in conjunction with a, an internal combustion energy, you can turn a crankshaft. And then you might go one step further and know that if you want to move something, it's generally better off it being on wheels because wheels are great for moving things. And if you might think then that you could connect that crankshaft to the axles to turn, to move the thing, and you could invent a car. So you have all the component parts in your head, but you mightn't have invented the car. Not a great example. Okay, so a slightly better example is a washer-dryer. So we had washing machines for years, and we had dryers for years, and it wasn't until some genius came along and decided that you could actually combine the two. And the benefit of that was that you could put in dirty clothes into a machine and then you could get dry clothes at the end of the cycle instead of having to take it out and put it in and set another cycle and have to be there in the first place to perform a task. Now, it's a pretty base example, but I'm sure you can think of something else whereby we had 
both things forever and it wasn't until some genius came along and put them together that we had something new just off the top of my head what came to mind there as i was speaking was a pen knife so we had knives and forks and spoons and saws and screwdrivers for god knows how many years before we had pen knives like swiss army knives and it wasn't until some genius said do you know you could fucking super glue these things together and wedge them into a little packet and take them out as you needed them and ideas are kind of the same your head are full your head is full of all these different thoughts but that's what they just are until you have a think about them really until you until you put your data information until you turn your thoughts into ideas and i suppose that encapsulates pretty well what i do with these solo episodes it's an effort by me, now this is obviously in retrospect, but it's an effort by me to turn my thoughts into ideas. So, what are my thoughts on biological determinism and the domestication of humans? Well, just with biological determinism. So, plants are biologically determined. Okay, they're, they're biologically determined depending on their genes and their environment. So, there's a mixture there. There's nature and nurture. So the genes, that's DNA that's encoded or embedded in the seed itself. So your genes and your DNA are essentially a list of instructions. They, they, they dictate what this seed is actually going to do. Is it going to turn into a short, fat bush or a really tall, wide tree? Or is it a fucking cactus? Or is it an underwater plant? Or is it only a plant that survives above the tree line in the mountain? All of that is encoded in the seed itself. It's in the seed's genes. It's in it's in the, the DNA of the plant. But your environment is critically important too because if you give... I grow... One of the things that I grow are, are pea shoots. So I grow a lot of pea plants. Hundreds of thousands of them every week. Tiny little pea plants. And under normal conditions, a pea plant will grow, you know, two foot tall, there, thereabouts, and will spread out pods, and in those pods will be peas. But that's if you give it the environment that it thrives in. But if you give it a, a dark environment and a cold environment, it'll grow a lot slower, it'll grow, it'll grow a lot longer, as in like taller, it'll, it'll stretch, it'll become elongated. The time from when it germinates to when it produces seed will be greatly extended. It'll be weak. If it's not given a breeze to, to move it around, It'll, it'll go limp and fall over under the weight of itself. So a plant's life is determined by its genes, first and foremost, fundamentally, but also, and as importantly, its environment. And humans are essentially no different. Like a human, in our genes, we have, for the most part, broad sweeping generalization alert, two arms, two legs, two eyes, one nose, two ears, you know, a tongue, a heart, a liver, a pancreas, an asshole, <laughs> you know, the whole... The whole human. And you grow up to be pretty much representative of human beings, provided you're given a half-decent environment. But if you're given a shitty environment, if you're not shown love as a child, if you're malnourished, if you're isolated or manipulated, all these different things will affect how you turn out physically i mean if you're malnourished you'll end up shorter i believe quick side note i think people in north korea are on average a good few inches shorter than people in south korea 
and it's purely down to malnourishment. I would imagine it's the exact same for IQ. I would imagine the average IQ is far higher in South Korea than it is in North Korea, due to malnourishment, if no other factor. The point being, our lives are predetermined by our biology and by our environment. So I'm five foot eleven. That's not because of anything to do with my environment, other than I got plenty of nutrition when I was a kid. I would have been shorter if I didn't get if I got half the nutrition that I got as a kid when I was growing, when I was developing, odds are I'd be a bit shorter. Now I wouldn't be half the height, obviously, but I might want to be five ten, five nine. And for the most part I find social interactions, you know, perfectly fine. I can meet and greet people, I can make eye contact, I've no problem making new friends or new acquaintances in business. And that's entirely due to A, my biology, but B, also my environment. So when I was brought up, I was socialised. I was around other people a lot. I was introduced to new people periodically. And that helped me bolster my skills and strengths as a fully functioning, autonomous human being. And much like plants, we are biologically determined to a great degree. I wouldn't say entirely, because what's relevant here, and it's something that I've been thinking about a lot recently, it's timelines. So I think in relation to biological determinism or free will, the timeline is uh, relevant. So you're walking down the road minding your own business, somebody jumps out from behind a bush and scares the fuck out of you, and you go, ah! What part of you decided to scream in fear? An unconscious part of you. You didn't decide to do that. That was that was pure environment. You had no there was no choice in that matter. So in the moment, we have very little free will and everything is biologically determined. We're just biological clockwork. It's just reflex. So the cloud moves away from the sun, the sun shines brighter in your eyes, your pupil decreases in size to accommodate for that. And we're just biological clockwork, tick-tock, tick-tock, tick-tock. But that's in the moment, in a, in a moment, in a flash. But over time, it's different. Because to take somebody jumping from a bush and giving you a scare and making you go, ah! If that happens you once, you go, fuck, scare the bollocks out of me. But if it happens you the next day, you might say to yourself, well, fuck this, I'm not fucking, I'm not having this anymore. And I'm going to exaggerate here to get the point across, but you could get one of your friends to repeatedly scare you all the time until your ass turn into, stop doing that, will you? You're starting to annoy me. And I suppose that's a really crass base, maybe not crass, but it's a base example of how we can influence our own behavior over time. Because we suffer the consequences of the mistakes we make. We also reap the benefits of being right or correct and that compounds over time and this is where awareness comes in so if you can be aware of if you can be aware moment to moment not over the course of your life I don't mean awareness of looking back over the week and going oh yeah I didn't do that great or I could have done this better I mean moment to moment that's real awareness in the moment awareness as far as I'm concerned is where it's at in the moment awareness is how you beat biological determinism that's how you really start to navigate your own life and you 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 set the course of your life moment by moment and if you can have moment to moment awareness 
you're just going to be a more effective pilot of your own destiny. I was actually only gifted a really good example of this this morning. I kind of, I had a moment of awareness in the moment. And it was fucking great. I love when I catch myself because it's a nice little reminder of fucking, you just give yourself a little pat on the back. Like, well done, Fran. That could have worked out really fucking badly. Not really badly, but something could work out really badly, but it didn't because you had in the moment awareness of what was happening and you course corrected. So I was on my way to work this morning. I was a little bit later than usual because I was dropping the kids to school this morning. And past guest in front of the show, Pork Riley, who's giving me a dig out with work, he texted me and said that he was running a little bit late and he'd see me down there at whatever time. And that was grand, texting back, no worries, I'd take her time. And as I was on my way to where we were both going, my place of business, I saw him pulling out of a shop that's on the way there. And I kind of I gave him a wave as I went by, but he didn't see me. And I saw him, I saw him, and oh, there's Podge, gave a wave, no, he didn't see me. Okay, grand, kept going. But I had to call home first. So I saw him at the shop, called home, was in my house for, I don't know, 20 minutes or so, and then headed back down to my place of business, where he was. And I knew that he'd been there, I don't know, at a max about half an hour, because I fucking saw him earlier, and I know how long it takes him to get from where he was, and I know how long ago that was. So I knew, within reason, exactly how long he'd been down there. But in a kind of a chit-chatty way, I said, oh, you're down here long. And I caught myself right in the moment. As soon as I said, are you down here long? I went, oh, don't answer that. So the way he would have heard it would have been, um, oh, are you down here long? Oh, don't, don't, don't answer that. And the reason that I jumped in and didn't want him to answer is because I fucking knew how long he was down there. Because I fucking saw him. But if I had let him answer, he might have said an hour. You know, he might have made a genuine mistake. Let's say he said, oh, I'm down here about an hour. That would have left me thinking, no, you're not, you lying cunt, because I know you're not down here that long, because I saw you in the fucking shop half an hour ago. Now, he'd have no reason to lie to me, and he actually actively texted me that morning and said, look, I'm running a bit late, and I said, no worries. There is no worries. His timekeeping isn't an issue. The man is 100%. He comes down, he does what needs to be done, and he fucking heads off, and there's, there's never been any issue. We've been working together side by side for a couple of years now. And I didn't, I wasn't, I didn't ask to try and catch him out, but I caught in the moment that I nearly did by accident. And it's like you wake up after having a feed of pints of the lads the night before and herself goes, what time did you come in at last night? And you say, oh, I don't know, about fucking 11 or 12. No, it wasn't. It was four o'clock in the morning. It's like, why'd you fucking ask? You know, you, you set me up for fucking failure there, bitch. <laughs> and I nearly did that to Podge this morning. But that's, and I nearly did it by accident. But that's moment to moment awareness. And if you can have that, if you can develop better and better moment to moment awareness to understanding how you're feeling and why you're about to scream or shout at somebody when something goes wrong, if you can just catch yourself in the moment, that's the antidote, I think, to biological determinism. Moment to moment mindfulness is the antidote to biological determinism. And that's fucking mad. Like, if somebody had asked me two minutes ago, hey, Fran, what's the antidote to biological determinism? I don't fucking know. <laughs> that's the answer that they would have been given. But it was in there. But 
what the fuck has this got to do with the domestication of humans? Because let me just reread that question again. How does biological determinism align with the domestication of humans? I think it aligns pretty fucking perfectly, to be honest with you. I mean, if this was a public forum, if I was on a stage and I was talking and that was a question that was asked to me, people would think it was fucking planted. At least that's that was my knee jerk when I read the question. I was like, gee, how do they align? They fucking align left, right and centre. Like, fuck. Because we've domesticated plants and we've, we'll stick with dogs actually because dogs are the quintessentially domesticated animal. How have we domesticated them? Well, there's two things. We fuck with their genes and we fuck with their environment. So the way that we fuck with their genes is that we've intentionally paired species to get what we want. And we've selectively bred for certain traits, like loyalty, and against certain traits, like, you know, viciousness, depending on the type of dog, obviously. I mean, you don't, like, the, the type of dog that you want in your kitchen playing with your kids is something like a, I don't know, a Labrador. You know, placid, docile, friendly. You could practically poke them in the eyeball before they fucking snap at you. But that's not exactly what you want herding sheep or protecting your house you know you want a fucking a german shepherd for for that crack and the way that we've made these animals the way that we've kind of morphed them to our own needs and the way that we've domesticated them is by doing both it's by messing with their genes by messing with their bloodline basically by breeding them for specific traits specific genetic traits and then we fuck with them with their environment because your environment, I suppose, would include the food that you eat. So you don't feed a dog that you want to be placid raw meat, I would imagine. Now, again, I'm no fucking expert at these things. But there's, if you want a house dog, or better yet, if you want... So terriers, I believe, were bred, to a certain degree at least, as rat catchers. So they were bred to be small because... A German Shepherd might be one of the smarter dogs, but it has a fucking hell of a time going through a small hole in relation in, in comparison to a, a Terrier. So a Terrier will fucking get in a small little hole in the wall and it'll run in and it'll get the rats or whatever it is. Whereas a German Shepherd is just too big. But the environment that you breed a Terrier in is going to be a lot smaller because you're going to want to you're going to want the the breed to be comfortable in its environment so you have to get it used to a small environment so you're not going to give it a field to run around in you're going to keep it relatively encaged and you're going to give it small little spaces for it to come in and out of because as you're breeding the dog you want to weed out the pups that don't have a proclivity to go into the small spaces you want to if they have a if they have some form of claustrophobia in there somewhere. You really want to breed that out, if your purpose is for the dog to go down small holes and into ditches and where rats generally hide. And this is exactly what we've done to ourselves. At least this is my claim. I think that we, as a species, human beings, have intentionally or otherwise, call it accidentally, we've domesticated ourselves, and we've done that through providing environments for us to live in, which is our societies, basically, 
that are conducive to people who don't speak out, who won't raise their head above the parapet. We've we've essentially bred out creativity. Schools breed out creativity. In order for you to thrive in school, you need to do what you're told, when you're told, as you're told. And that runs contrary to how a creative person is is programmed. So for the most part, I would argue that people who struggle with school more often than not probably have a proclivity to be creative because they want to think outside the box. They want to... They want to go down rabbit holes and they're happier in unexplored territory. That's when they, when they light up. They're like, ooh, what's, what's over here? Whereas what we're breeding for through our schooling is conformity. We're breeding compliance to a great degree. And that serves our masters, essentially. Because the ruling class, the elite, they, whoever they are, the people who are in control, the people with all the power, They don't want people thinking differently. They don't want people thinking outside the box. They don't want people thinking for themselves. They want good little people who can fucking sit down and be quiet and do what they're fucking told. And aren't going to upset the fucking apple cart. The apple cart of billions of money that's going to my house and not your house. So in that sense, biological determinism is what creates domestication in the first place. Because biological determinism is basically just what... It's basically the outcome of a mixture of genes and environment. And what we've done as humans is we select our own genes. There's very few working class people marrying multi-multi-millionaires or billionaires for that matter. Okay, so there's a an intentional or otherwise selection process there that separates the elites or the ruling class or the governing class and everybody else and whether that's by design or not is practically irrelevant it's fucking there it exists so that's on the strictly biological gene dna end of things and then an environment there's not too many fucking billionaires living in high-rise flats There's not too many billionaires living in crowded council estates or in emergency accommodation or in working class communities generally. Like how many of the people listening here live next door to a billionaire? I would guess if you rounded that up to its nearest whole number, it'd still be zero. Millionaires' kids get privately educated. They go to private schools and they hang around with privately educated private school other people. It's what they know, it's what they become accustomed to, it's who they can relate to. And the gap is broadening all the time. Because it's funny, and again, it's only coming out in the wash now in this recording. It's not that we've all been domesticated. It's not that really that we're domesticating ourselves. It's that the ruling class is domesticating the working class. That's effectively what's happening. Now, I don't think it's intentional. But a lot of things that aren't intentional... They happen and that's fine, but it's when it's noticed and nothing's done about it that it gets a bit sketchy. And I've been saying for years now that we've domesticated ourselves, 
but have also been saying we've domesticated ourselves to the point whereby we've been bred to consume and that we're effectively or essentially being milked for our finances. And the people who benefit from our consumerism are the the ruling class, are the elites, are the, the people who own all the businesses. And the way to counteract all of this is to be, first of all, aware of it in the fucking first place. And to try and have moment-to-moment mindfulness of it. And to not fall into the trappings of consumerism and materialism. And to appreciate that when we're being sold shit, like when stuff is being marketed towards you, and you you buy it, you're not buying it. What And they're not selling it. What they're selling is a better version of you. And that's what you're buying into. This idea that you could be better. This idea that you are not enough. This idea that... If only you had that car or this job or that hot girl or whatever it is, that you'd be somehow more fulfilled, better. And it's my view, at least, that pretty much everything that I've mentioned in the last 25 or so minutes, a direct consequence of all that is the breakdown of democracy worldwide, basically. Suicide rates being off the charts. Environmental catastrophe and all the rest of it. And on that note, I'll chat to you soon. Bye.